Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I've titled the message today, The Exaltation of Christ. Let's open in prayer. Father, that is our desire to exalt Jesus Christ, to magnify the name of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior, our Messiah. Thank you for who you are, that we can know you, that you revealed yourself to us personally. And we ask today that you would just, again, reveal yourself, build us up in that most holy faith, encourage us and refresh us with who you are, change us and transform us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. The exaltation of Christ. It was last week that we saw the Christ's humiliation in verses 5 through 8. But this week we see Christ's exaltation, the exaltation by God. They're casually and inseparately linked together. Well, let's read our text today as we move to the exaltation of Christ. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus and every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God and the Father. Powerful verses. In fact, let me also go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Notice what it says, And he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in one to come. Paul continues his teaching about Christ by reminding the saints that Christ is exalted. You know, the pathway to exaltation is always marked by suffering. Just as Christ was glorified and exalted after his suffering, it's true for all of God's children. In fact, let's look at the, the source of Christ's exaltation Look at verse 9. This is, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. See, it's the Father's act in a direct response to Christ's obedience. The exaltation of Christ was, was due to his total submission to the will of the Father. Not just because he was God, but because he was submission to the will of the Father. Let me show you Acts 2. Verse 32 through 35, this Jesus God raised up from the dead, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was David who ascended into heaven. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, that biblical word exalted means to lift up or raise, to be high. It's appropriate that God be exalted, for he's great, and and he is lifted up. But it's never appropriate for man to exalt himself. The way to exaltation is always through humiliation. If that principle was true for the Son of God, how much more is it true for all of his disciples? In fact, let me give you a key thought here. Matthew twenty three twelve says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself, notice, shall be exalted. When we look at the exaltation of Christ, we see four steps towards that upward movement. First, his resurrection. Second, his ascension. Third, his coronation. And finally, his intercession. Well, let's begin with his resurrection. Jesus was already resurrected from the dead when the women came to the tomb where Jesus had had been buried. Notice with me, Mark 16, 6. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where he laid. Do you remember Peter's message on Pentecost? Look again at Acts 2.32. This Jesus, God raised him up, to which we are all witnesses. Later in Acts chapter 5, after being released from prison in Jerusalem, Peter and the other apostles with him testified before the Sanhedrin. Look with me in Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Look again at Acts Acts 1, verses 1 through 3. Look with me. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he, by the Holy Spirit, had given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also appointed himself living after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing over a 40-day period of time, speaking of things concerning the kingdom. Then look at verses 9 through 11. And he lifted up while they were looking, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up to you into heaven will just will come in just the same way that you watched him go. What are they talking about? They're talking about that ascension. The second aspect of the Father's exaltation of Jesus was at his ascension, when the Lord appeared to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection. Well, first ascension. When we think about the ascension, it ended the earthly visible ministry of Christ. The ascension prepared the way for the promise, the coming of the Holy Spirit, to minister to the invisibly through the church of God. Second, the ascension exalted Christ to the right hand of the Father, 
where he reigns as Lord over the cosmos. He serves as the great high priest. He's interceding on the behalf of God's people in Hebrews chapter 7 and, and chapter 8. The ascension functions as a reminder Christ will once again appear visibly from the heavens. At the second coming of Christ, he appeared with many convincing proofs. It was over a 40-day period of time, if you remember, and it was during that time he appeared to over 500 people at once. They were all eyewitnesses. They all had a testimony. They saw him. John 14, 2 says this, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. Paul explained to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And he who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. That's the ascension. He was taken up to be with the Father until he comes back again. Well, look with me, his coronation. Jesus' coronation really is the third aspect of Jesus' exaltation. When giving the Great Commission, Jesus proclaimed, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And having ascended, Jesus is now at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven. Look with me again at Acts 7. We'll begin at verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into the heavens and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he was saying, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It was here that Stephen was being stoned. And the heavens opened up, and he saw Jesus in heaven. And I believe every person will see Jesus, that is a believer, and the heavens will open up and bring him to be with him. We should be going through this life looking for the Lord to come for you and come for me. He doesn't send somebody else. He comes personally to bring each of us. Notice Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is from the scenes in heaven. If you remember the book of Revelation, it says, Then I looked, yet I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and elders, and a number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, might, and power, and glory, and blessing. This is the Son He's worthy because he's given his life for you and me. He is all-powerful, and he is coming for you and me again. Now, this passage is setting up really a text for the title deed of the earth. It's all about the church here praising the Lord, and he's opening the title deed to the earth. In chapter 6, the judgments come. But see, these judgments don't come upon the church. They Come upon an unbelieving, unregenerate world. For you and me, it's blessings. It's the presence of the Lord. And in his presence is 
fullness of joy. Well, look at his intercession, which is the fourth and final aspect of Jesus' exaltation. And it is his honored position. It's He's the high priest from which his continual intercedes for believers. The Christ is continually making intercession for us with God the Father on the behalf of sinners. I love Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. And I love that he's interceding for you and me and says, you know, Sally is covered by the blood of the Lamb. She has trusted in me and Bill and Tim. And he's continually interceding in prayer that's enabling you and me to walk through this life as we trust in him. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. I love that thought, those who draw near. He's able to save those who draw near. And that's something that you and I need to do every day, draw near. You remember the story of Martha and Mary, and Martha was busy serving. Mary chose the better thing, sitting and waiting at his feet, hanging on every word listening, adoring. I love that picture. He is able to save those who draw near through him. We draw near as we trust in him, as we believe in him, as we look to him. He makes intercession for us. For the most part, Jesus' exaltation is involved in in the restoration of what he had eternally possessed before his incarnation. So everything that he had before he became man is restored back to him. The incarnation means when God became flesh. Well, he is also incarnate or love incarnate. He is love in the flesh. We wouldn't have known love unless we seen that love of God. And when we look at the Bible, we see how much God loves us when we look at the cross and all he endured for you and me. John 17, 5 says this, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He laid aside all of these things and was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and lived a life without any sin and died upon the cross for you and me. And yet Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus has supreme authority and and power. But he lived as a man to become the sacrificial lamb and now he's in the right hand of the Father. Pray continually for you and me. Notice the title of Christ's exaltation and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name. The word bestow conveys that idea of giving freely or generously 
The Father has given the Son the most glorious reputation. It's a name which is above every name with the most divinely perfect love. I love names. See, we all have names, in fact. And they're very important in knowing one another and and to others knowing us. In fact, sometimes we all have the same name. And, and my friends, and they were in a church, and, and they were three different pastors. And we used to call them John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John because there are three Johns all in ministry together. Now, most names today, though, are unimportant. They don't say a lot about us. That is, we could have any other name on earth and still be the same person we already are. Our text tells us, though, that there is a name above every name. It's this name that prompts the citizens to shout. Shout and praise and glorify and exalt the king. At the same time, this name causes the citizens in hell to, to shudder, to fear. A name that brings, really, a name that brings help to the helpless and peace to the tormented and rest to the restless and hope to the hopeless and comfort to the comfortless. This name, many times, his cool, excited brow. It's, it's broken the chains of, of sin. It's delivered the captive and thrilled the saint. The one who bears his name has been called everything from Adam to wonderful. The name given is above every name. The term above, the same word translated, is really highly. And thus the name is, is denoted as exalted supremacy. Jesus so completely satisfied the Father in fulfilling the work in his incarnation and providing redemption for the elect. He had generously granted him this exalted title. He became the visible focus of the Godhead and it was a position graciously bestowed upon him because of his self humbling death. It's interesting when we think about names. Old Testament uh, parents gave their children names in which had special significance. In fact, in Genesis 29, verses 32 to 35, we have Leah. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Every name she picks, it, it, it points to what's going on in her life and her hopes. In fact, look at verse 33. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard my, heard my prayer that I'm unloved, he has therefore given me a son. So she named him Simeon. Verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. And therefore, she named him Levi. In verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and, and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah and she stopped bearing. 
It's interesting that name Judah. Judah means praise. That's where it comes from. When Israel would go into battle, if you notice in the text, so often they would go into battle and Judah would go first. If we are going to spiritual battle, we need to go in praise. Praise knowing that our God is already exalted. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. And we are victorious in him. Praise always goes before battle. But you can see the significance of the names there. God revealed himself through many of these names by which he himself describes himself. In fact, in Genesis 17, 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. See, this name was given to him to emphasize his rank above all other beings. It reflects not only his divine essence and nature, but also his new and unique privileges. Mentioned above that, the Father gave to him in response to his redemptive work. Again, look with me in verses 10 and 11 in our text. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, And that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, Paul does not reveal the the supreme name. No, he just uses the name which is above every name. Until verse 11, where he declares that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice the, the emphasis upon Lord. Lord is a title of majesty and authority, and honor, and and sovereignty. One day, that exalted name will be expanded to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We see it, Revelation 19.16. See, God has given Christ supreme worship. God is going to See to it that every creature confesses Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Every nation, tongue and language, every person, mind and body, every race and color and shape, every belief, creed and religion, and every man and woman and child, every king, leader, and authority every personal or professional worker and labor. The fact is, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. See, every person will acknowledge Jesus is God alone. Those who are in heaven, holy angels, redeemed men who have died, those who are on earth, those who are still alive, those who are under the earth, the fallen angels, the unregenerate men existing in Hades. The word Lord is curus, supremacy. The, he's the supreme authority, the position, the Savior, and the Lord is not separated. Look with me in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name cast out many demons, in your name perform many miracles. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. See the emphasis on name? Many people try and do things in the name of the Lord and even do some things in the power of the devil, in the power of the flesh. But see, the name is knowing the person, the name. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he taking that exalted position? Have you placed him up as the Lord of your life? Now, a form of Joshua means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. Jesus was the the common name in those New Testament times. It's rather at the name of Jesus. It's That is another name, Lord, given to Jesus Christ in his exaltation of the Father, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Think of all the terms by which we're privileged to give glory to Jesus. Think of his names. Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, the the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the Messiah, the Lord, the, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the Ancient of Days, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God with us, God our Savior, the only wise God, our Savior, the Lord who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's the door of the sheep, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, the lamb without spot and blemish, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's the Logos. He's the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread that come down from heaven, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He is the rock, the bridegroom, the wisdom of God, our Redeemer. He is the Beloved. He is the head of all things, which is the church. He is the one who is altogether lovely, the one whom the Father is well pleased. If he is these things to you, then in your own heart you praise him in giving him glory and give glory to God and the Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord that we can know these truths about you, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and your name is above every other name. Thank you that if you are for us, who could ever be against us? You'll keep us. You'll sustain us. You'll transform us and change us into your image. We give glory to you 
and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.